Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, September 17th, 2020. Just one and a half months from the November elections. People ask me if I am one political persuasion or another. Am I Democrat or Republican or liberal or conservative? That's not the point. I believe this this political system we have works better if everybody comes out to vote, no matter what their beliefs. Only when 50%, when only 50% turn out to vote, you are essentially allowing in any close election 25% of the population to rule over the other 75%. So get your vote in early, whether you're for Trump or against Trump or whatever, Our system of government is full of loopholes and flaws, but it is the best system anyone has come up with so far. So if you want to keep it, vote. Voting is the fuel for the engine of our democratic republic. So vote. I don't care what ideology or political persuasion you subscribe to. Not voting undermines the essence of the American experience. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. I've been caught up in arguments recently with readers of the blog about whether judges are biased or the judicial system is rigged. The answer is not as clear as you might want it to be. Judges are biased, just like any other human being on earth. And the system is rigged in the sense that there are rules that are intended to expedite the end of a dispute with finality. That's the way of things in our system. Those are the rules and laws governing what happens in a dispute. And it's very common that in any specific dispute, people wish the system worked differently. If you really want to achieve a result in court, then you have to work within the system and not rail about how the system is flawed or corrupt or biased or whatever. In foreclosures, the banks do everything they can to invoke the rules that expedite judgments and sales. Homeowners, on the other hand, do everything they know to stop or slow that process. The challenge to homeowners is to overcome the bias of the judge, who, in most cases, is in favor of enforcing a legitimate debt. 
the homeowner needs to use the rules so that the presumptions used by the banks turn into inferences in favor of the homeowner. That destroys the presumptions and forces the bank to actually prove their case rather than rely on legal fictions and presumptions. This is actually not that hard, although it does take persistence, and the banks are betting against your persistence. And they're betting against your persistence because it's a good bet. Most homeowners, most lawyers throw in the towel. Sometimes on the eve of, I've actually seen that occur. Courtroom scenes from movies and television are for drama, not education on the judicial process. But many people think they understand court process when they don't. And when people think that they have made a point in court and the judge ignores them, lay people and many lawyers attribute it to bias. Yes, the judge was biased, but no, that doesn't mean you couldn't win. In fact, in most situations where that occurs, the homeowner made no point, but they didn't realize it. They made no point even though the homeowner was right about their defense narrative. If you want to score real points, you must understand the rules. And the best way to do that is by hiring a lawyer with whom you can consult. The allegation is just that, an accusation. And it is not necessarily something that your opposition even needs to answer, much less prove that you're wrong. So trial lawyers know that to score points, they must force the opposition to answer and then use the answer or use the refusal to answer against the banks. That's how you win. You can only do that in discovery during litigation or in cross-examination of the robo-witness of the self-proclaimed servicer. But a good robo-witness will dodge the questions and resulted no points for the homeowners, or not enough points. So a strategy of relying on blowing up the witness from the self-proclaimed servicer, uh, it works frequently if done right, but it's fraught with uh, uh, potential problems. If you've got a witness who knows how to be a witness. Most of them don't, so you can blow them up. The judicial system has been caught flat-footed by the bank's strategy of weaponizing the court process to prove a non-existent claim. I think most people who read my material and hear this broadcast and so forth still don't quite grasp what I mean by that, I mean the loan account does not exist on the books or records of any company. And you say, well, what about Aquin? They, 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 they have books and records. Actually, they don't, but let's say they did. They still don't have anything on the records that they will produce to you or the court that shows the establishment of the debt as an account belonging to 
whoever it is. In other words, you will not see any evidence that a transaction took place by which the named plaintiff paid value for the underlying debt. That's how the loan account gets gets established. Not by somebody saying, because I said so, but because it was an actual transaction and the entry, the data entry comes from that transaction. But there is no such data entry and you will never find on the servicer's records the establishment of the debt, nor who they're paying. They're supposedly servicing on behalf of the, the, the trustee for the trust on behalf of the registered holders of uh, uh, pass-through certificates. No, Nothing on that record shows that the payment was backed out of the uh, so-called loan account into an account from which payments were made. Of the thousands of cases in which the homeowner won or achieved a very successful result, not one was the result of proving that bankers should be shot. And when homeowners or their lawyers come into court saying that bankers should be shot for the equivalent, then they lose so much credibility that practically everything they say after that is virtually ignored. You can't rant and rave in court. Every single win by homeowners has been the sole result of arguing insufficiency of evidence. That means not enough evidence to establish a claim against the homeowner. That is all you need to win. That means the banks have failed to prove the existence of the claim. It is, in the final analysis, their burden, although that gets confused in non-judicial states where homeowners are the ones who have to bring the lawsuit. That can still be dealt with. Most, what most homeowners and many attorneys have failed to realize is that by not responding to demands that the banks are legally required to answer, the banks themselves open the door to an allowable inference that the defense narrative is correct, defense narrative being there is no loan account, there is no owner, and that rebuts the legal presumptions that form the sole foundation for the case against the homeowner. But none of that happens automatically, no matter how obvious it seems to the homeowner. Proving that the loan account got paid off is not just difficult. It's impossible. Because you don't have that information and your opposition is not going to give it to you. When you ask for identification of the party who maintains an asset account consisting of the subject-alleged subject loan receivable and you're met with stonewalling even after the court enters orders commanding them to answer then 
after they've been given multiple opportunities to file an appropriate answer, then you can claim the inference that the loan account does not exist and the court will ordinarily go along with you. Most people don't believe what I just said, but the court will go along with you, regardless of court bias, regardless of rigged system, because the system is rigged to prevent prosecution of a claim that does not exist. So you can turn it around. So first you need to ask the right question and you need to word it properly so that nobody can claim that your question is ambiguous or overburdensome. For example, please state the date of the transaction in which Bank of New York Mellon paid value for the subject underlying debt. Keep it simple. Don't ask compound questions. You can also propose or propound what are called contention interrogatories. Like if, if, if Boney Mellon did not pay value in exchange for the conveyance of ownership of the subject debt note or mortgage, what is your legal basis for the claim of Bank of New York Mellon? Or do you contend that ownership of the debt account is irrelevant to enforcement of the subject debt note or mortgage? That puts them on the spot. And generally speaking, a question roughly worded like that will result in an order compelling the other side to answer, but not until you file the motion and just filing the motion is not enough. You've got to get a hearing. And then you have to go to the hearing, and you have to win the hearing. That means bringing expert witness reports and a memorandum of law to back up what you're doing. Honestly, judges are human. They have biases and so forth. The more p paper you, you, you put in front of the judge that's relevant, uh, the literally the more weight they will give your argument. You also get leverage when you propound requests for admission and requests for reduction. In requests for admission, you must ask questions that you know they're going to deny or, you know, in most cases, you want to ask questions that you think they'll admit that'll make your case easier. But in these cases, you're going to ask questions that you know they're going to deny. And where you think that the judge will enter a finding of fact in your favor. So the question is not whether the bank is a criminal organization or whether something was legal or illegal. The question is whether the named plaintiff paid value for the underlying debt. Please admit that Bank of New York Mellon or U.S. Bank or Deutsch as trustee of the XYZ Trust Mortgage Pass-Through Certificate Series AB1 did not pay value for the subject underlying obligation. When they deny it, then usually if you succeed at getting a finding of fact from the judge that says they didn't or that there is insufficient evidence that they did, then you at least have the... An, an argument for recovery of attorney's fees and costs from that point forward. 
Requests for admissions are basically a tool for the recovery of attorney's fees. They're not really a discovery device. Always file a motion to compel when they object to discovery demand because that is always their first line of defense. Believe it or not, once the banks file an objection, most homeowners walk and give up. They do not persist. Lawyers often get intimidated and fail to prepare opposing memoranda, etc. That's how homeowners lose. The answer is simple. Judge, this case is about a debt. I want to know if it exists and who owns it. Our experts say that the debt account does not exist and there is no owner. Thus, no creditor and no claim. The law says they must own the debt before they foreclose. UCC, Article 9, Section 203, says that payment for the underlying debt is a condition preceding to foreclosure. If they have not satisfied the condition preceding, then it is because they didn't pay for the debt before they started foreclosure, and our experts say they still have not paid for the debt. Our state legislature adopted UCC 9203 into state law verbatim. So that is the law of this state, and by the way, it's the law of every state. That's how you drill the defense narrative into the head of a judge. If you don't drill the defense narrative into the head of a judge, then the judge is going to continue with his bias in favor of enforcing what he thinks is a legitimate debt or she. You will never get a response, and for many lawyers and homeowners, they become dispirited and give up. That's litigation. It's a tried-and-true strategy to wear down the other side in litigation. Homeowners who have success in litigation go several steps further, turning their defense narrative or accusation into an inference that what they are saying is true not what the other side is saying. The defense narrative is that there is no loan account, there is no creditor, and the party seeking foreclosure are doing that for profit, not to pay off an existing loan account. You'll never prove the last point, that they're doing it for profit. But they won't be able to prove that they're paying off an existing loan account unless they can establish that there is an existing loan account on the books of some company that is the result of an entry that was made in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles reflecting the purchase of the loan. Loan accounts don't exist because someone says so. They can only exist on the general ledger of the company claiming it exists. There is an entry reflecting the debit from cash to pay for the asset receivable, in this case, a loan receivable, also known as the underlying obligation. If there is no such entry on the books of any company, then there is no debt account in existence. Without the account, there is no asset. Without the asset, there is no owner. Without the owner... There is no creditor. Without the creditor, there is no claim. Yes, it is that simple. I've gone over 
in other programs and articles what really happened with the money and why that account was paid off. But for the purposes of litigation in foreclosure, all you need to show is that you're entitled to an inference that there is no debt account on the books and records of any company or creditor or whatever. And don't get mixed up between the servicer and the supposed claimant. If it's Bank of New York Mellon as trustee for the blah blah blah, that's the claimant. That's the party that the lawyers are saying owns the debt. But they don't because they've never entered into a transaction in which they purchased it. The suggestion that courts are completely unwilling to consider any possibility that the homeowner has a meritorious defense is ill-conceived. I'm not saying this is a walk in the park, but you can win. I've won. Many lawyers have won. Many pro se litigants have won. I would suggest you keep open the possibility that the court will consider these matters if they are presented correctly. It's a hard pill to swallow, but the truth of the matter is that many courts have not considered these issues because they have not been presented in a manner in which the court could consider admissible evidence and inferences. And where the evidence and inferences are properly presented, within the context of a defense narrative in which the evidence is shown to be relevant to material facts in the case. Translation, if you don't play by the rules, don't complain when the rules bite you in the ass. The problem with many pro se litigants and many lawyers is that they don't know how to do the preparation. They don't know how to... Uh, how to argue the law... They don't know how to strategize the presentation because uh, you need to change things uh, depending upon what the judge seems to be focused on. Most of the time, they miss the steps that are crucial to winning the point. The most common error is the one where, tries to, where someone tries to introduce evidence of skullduggery, thinking that's all they need to do. It isn't. that you, The fact that your opponent, the bank or whoever, is a gaping moral hazard does not change the facts of the case or the proceeding. If you introduce that evidence, for example, as evidence of lack of credibility, with corroboration, legally permissible inferences, etc., that might enable you to argue your way out of the legal presumptions that they're using against you. Arguing your way out of the legal presumptions is the key to winning your case. You don't need to win a point where the court cites the illegal conduct of the, of the bank or the servicer or the lawyer or whatever. You just need to argue your way out of the application of legal presumptions. Courts favor the use of presumptions because it speeds things along. You need to block that process or lose. 
So a knowledge of objections and motion practice together with discovery is, is key. In simple words, it's never enough to show that your opponent is a no-good lowlife who is advancing his own interests mercilessly. You must show and prove that your opponent was cheating and lying in this case and that the effect of that cheating and lying was to alter either the terms and provisions of the contract or to alter the amount that's due on the alleged obligation. The fact that somebody robs a convenience store every seven days does not mean that they robbed a particular convenience store. The court is not interested in the other stores. It's interested in what happened at the one store where the alleged crime occurred. You have the same problem. Don't dilute your message. The court might allow evidence of a pattern of conduct or might not. But even if the court admits it into evidence, it can't convict solely on the basis of that evidence. It needs more evidence that the crime actually occurred on that date and at that time by that defendant. And remember, except in rare instances, all evidence is cumulative. There's no magic bullet. One piece, no one piece actually proves the case. And that's what you need to keep in mind. It is the gaps between the evidence proffered and the evidence that is missing that leads to a successful result for homeowners. The plain fact is, stripped of all the legal fictions like presumptions, there is no case against homeowners by any named claimant who asserts legal standing resulting from securitization of the loan because there was no securitization of the loan. For securitization of the loan to occur, the loan had to be sold, and it had to be sold to multiple investors. There was no such sale. No investor gets to own your loan or any piece of it. Think about it. If there was such a sale, the banks would have been happy to produce the evidence, which would be a knockout blow to virtually all borrower defenses. Google all you want. You won't find a single instance in which the banks say or show evidence that, that I'm wrong. They've had my opinion for 14 years. They took six days of deposition on it. They have yet to contest what I'm saying. What most pro se litigants and lawyers do not understand is that in cases like foreclosure arising out of highly sophisticated and complex securitization schemes, proof is generally not going to be actual evidence, although you might have some evidence that you can show the judge, such as signature discrepancies and so forth. The banks have the upper hand, so get over it. That is the way the system works. They have the upper hand because they know things that the homeowner either doesn't know or can't prove. This is called asymmetry of knowledge. By luring judges into thinking about the homeowner transaction as a loan agreement, asymmetry of knowledge is all they need to win, unless, of course, the homeowner raises in the answer to the foreclosure complaint or defenses in, in, in the affirmative defenses or claims in the counterclaim or a collateral lawsuit, unless the homeowner raises the issue of whether or not securitization actually occurred, whether there was an actual sale of the loan. 
In such cases where the asymmetry of knowledge is indisputable, proof is the raising of inferences against the opponent. It's not a piece of evidence that you can show the judge. So, the reason why successful homeowners in litigation challenge the records of the so-called servicer is to expose the fact that that company, Aquin, et cetera, doesn't actually perform any servicing tasks, which are in reality performed by Black Knight, by, by their evidence. You have to keep in mind that every one of these parties that you see is actually a nominee for an unseen party. Sound complicated? That's why you need to get a lawyer. That's it for tonight. For our Jewish listeners, happy Rosh Hashanah tomorrow. Happy New Year and good Shabbos on Saturday. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.